0: Cages and other humans would look in these cages and um, and stare at them and that actually happened in our history how do you reconcile that um, well I think for me to not just think of it as something that belongs to the past weirdly mm. um, because whatever happened in the 19th century in terms of setting in stone how we think about human difference and racial difference we still live with now so um, The racial categories we use come directly out of those lines of intellectual thought. The way that scientists studied human difference in the human zoos, um, and when they travelled around the world, we still live with now. And I think that, for me, was the key message um, of Superior, is that we can't just consider this a question that belongs to another age and another time. It fully belongs to us now, because we are still living with these ideas to this day. What I found really... What's going on, everybody? It's Chase. I am back with another episode of the Act Protect Engage podcast known as Ape Academy. Okay, so what are we talking about today? We're talking about scientific racism and its legacy in relation to the Emancipation Proclamation and the freeing of the slaves. How did the U.S. government base their treatment of the slaves? on racial science, you may ask. Well, I asked the same question when I started researching. How could they do this? How could they base their treatment of the freed slaves on a renowned racial scientist? Well, they needed answers, and they didn't have any. So they went to the expert at the time. We're going to discuss him, and we're going to discuss this whole time period where science was... Not as advanced as it is now, right? We didn't have the wisdom that we do now, right? We didn't, ha- we don't have the technology, we don't have the insight, we don't have the new formulas, etc. We also are a lot less ignorant and uh, a lot less isolated than many scientists were in the 19th century. So that's what we're going to talk about today: racial science in the 19th century god bless you guys i hope you had a great weekend so far shout out to all of our listeners both domestically and internationally we love y'all ape Hey guys, welcome back Welcome back, it's great to be with you Happy Sunday, I hope you guys had a great weekend with your families and friends We got a few things to go over today A few really, really cool, important facts that I want to share with you guys That I kind of stumbled into while researching for something else Alright, so this is like an impromptu podcast So excuse it. Excuse me if I'm a little jumbled and bumbling and fumbling But this is impromptu off the top of the head, guys. All right, so, I have a quick request. Please, if you can, turn on your post notifications, because if you do, you'll be watching the All-Star Game, and you'll hear a bing! If you hear that, that means that a new episode of the Act Protecting Gage Academy podcast might be streaming. So, if you look at your smartphone, and you see a banner, and it has our name on it, there's probably a new episode that's out, okay? Okay? We would love for you to know when all the new podcasts are out. Also, if you have a few minutes, please rate us—you know, five star, whatever. (laughs) Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Four star. Be honest, because I look at the reviews and I use that to make improvements. Because I need to look at feedback in order to know what to do better, right? If I don't get any feedback, it's going to remain the same. You know, as far as my delivery, so I might be able to change up some things. Let me know. All right. Also, if you could review us, that'd be even better. All right. Chase is awesome. That's all I gotta say. (laughs) And that goes a long way. All right, guys. So today we're talking about quote the blueprint blueprint for reconstruction. All right. That's the title. The blueprint for reconstruction. Mr. Lewis Agassiz, The Racist Scientist, and how His theories, how his theories influence the federal government. All right. That's the title of our podcast today. That's what we're talking about. All right. It's a complex topic, but I broke it down, I think, pretty well. We got a few sources Scientific Racism, Harvard Library, right? From Harvard Library. The Life and Works of Louis Agassiz. That is from Illinois.edu. So the Illinois History Department. Louis Agassiz by Harvard University Department of Earth and Planetary Sciences, the American Freedmen's Inquiry Commission, 19th Century Racial Pseudoscience and the False Assessment of Black America, 1863 to 1864 by Mr. Jeff Strickland. He's an associate professor of history at Montclair State University in beautiful Montclair, New Jersey. All right, so we got a few really, really great academic sources, and we're going to start right now. We are live. All right, so my introductory rant, as always, since the late 16th century, when the first enslaved Africans were brought to the New World, promoters of anti-black racism and white supremacy have promoted and promulgated pseudoscience to support and justify racial inequality. These fake sciences and deeply flawed social sciences claim to, quote, prove white biological superiority by documenting the inferior or inherent racial characteristics of black Africans. In the 1600s and 1619, when the first enslaved Africans came off the boat into the Virginian colony, justifications of their enslavement were brought along with them. In the 400 years since, similar justifications are still being used today to justify abuse, mistreatment, and oppression by authorities. One of the most effective tactics that were used to justify anti-black racism and white supremacy has always been scientific racism. Throughout the years, Scientific racism has taken many, many forms. All of them, every single form, has the goal of co-opting the authority of science as objective knowledge in order to justify racial inequality. Some 19th century scientists, like Harvard's Luis Agassiz, were proponents of polygenism, which sought to prove that human races were distinct species. So each Race was a separate species The accepted Right science is that we're all One race we're all one species Right as human beings Right but This scientist He believed that each race Was a separate species of humanity So that gave him Kind of a a way to wiggle His way in to creating these Little differences between the races Right obviously there's going to be a hierarchy If he does that Some 19th century scientists were proponents of this and their theories were supported by pseudoscientific methods like craniometry, the measurement of the human skull, which supposedly proved that white people were biologically superior to blacks based on shape of the skull, density, etc. Also, they used statistical health data which was weaponized against black Americans in the late 1800s. Ever heard of the Tuskegee experiment? That was in the late 1800s, but that was an example of statistical health data, experimentation on black folks. This data was manipulated to claim that blacks were predisposed to disease and destined for extinction. By the early to mid 20th century, polygenism and biology based racism were widely disproven and racism in social sciences gained popularity as the new quote professional source of racial inequality for instance let's 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 talk about examples there have been studies that show that the high rates of imprisonment among black americans is proof of innate criminality while phony intelligent testing claimed to prove the mental superiority of whites Of course, of course As with similar arguments Going on today in certain circles These studies are used To back up Falsities They don't Take into account Political and social forces Such as poor housing Poverty Lack of health care And of course Vicious racial oppression A lot of these Pseudo-social studies provide a so-called form of evidence to fuel systemic forms of anti-black racism. A perfect example is segregation. For many Americans looking for reasons to hate black folks, these, quote, studies were all that they needed to help themselves sleep at night to justify their racist beliefs. Contemporary scientific consensus agree that race has no biological basis But for some reason, in many circles, scientific racism still exists today. While it is much more subtle than craniometry, they come in harder to recognize and even more insidious forms. Today, we're going to take a look back at emancipation, right? We're talking 1863. And we're going to talk about how one popular... Well-known, highly respected at the time, scientists influenced the federal government in their treatment of the newly freed population. I really hope you enjoy it. I know I loved it. I stumbled onto this knowledge like randomly and it was just fascinating. Enjoy, ape. All right, so we're back. <laughs> we're back. Let's talk about Mr. Lewis. Agassiz. It's hard to pronounce his name. I sound like I have peanut butter in my mouth. Louis Agassiz. That's what I'm going to say. I'm just going to use it like that. All right. Louis Agassiz, 1807 to 1873, was a Swiss-born American biologist and geologist and is a recognized scholar of Earth's natural history. He was a creationist who believed that the natural order was a work of God. So he did not believe in evolution. I'm just laying that out there right now. He did not believe in evolution. Um, He barely kind of believed in Darwin. Not really. He he didn't believe in evolution. He did believe in kind of natural selection uh, because he did think that the Negro race would eventually go extinct in in America. And, of course, look at how wrong he is today. (laughs) All right. He began his scientific career cataloging fish fossils, which sounds extremely boring, which he would go on to win a quasi kind of great value version of the Nobel Prize for. He became the first mainstream proponent of the concept of Ice Ages. Right? And this was in the 1830s, which at that time was like so radical and cool and cutting edge. Now it seems like obvious, but back then this was new cutting edge information. Agassiz spent his early life in Switzerland, and he received a doctorate of philosophy and medical degree uh, at uh, Erlandin College and Munich and the University of Munich he immigrated to the United States in 1847 after he visited Harvard University Right, so he visited Harvard he went back to Switzerland and then he was like you know what I love America I want to move here he went on to become a permanent professor of zoology and geology at Harvard and he even founded its Museum of Comparative Zoology and his name is still everywhere around Harvard Agassiz wrote extensively on the topic of polygenism, right? We talked about that. Polygenism is essentially the idea that the races were created separately, right? The races were created separately, meaning that we did not all come from one person. We were not one race. So Asians are created separately, in separate periods. And he believed that the ice ages, right? The different ice ages separated these creations. So one ice age happened, white folks were uh, developed, right? Were created. Another ice age happened, black folks were created, etc. And he believed that God did all this. It wasn't evolution. This line of thought is in stark opposition with monogenism, the idea that humankind all has a single origin which is obviously the theory of modern scientists today, all right? Agassiz wrote extensively on the subject and was also cited by both racial purists and scientific racists. This led him to eventually be despised and shunned from his own community, although he was really popular with the racists, of course. To his credit, though, Agassiz never openly supported slavery, He claimed that he was not a racist. Of course, they all do. He claimed he was not a racist, and he claimed that his work on racial science had nothing to do with the hot political topic of slavery at the time. His views of polygenism was based on the assertion that there were many species of living things, humans included. This is the reason that humans are geographically divided, in distinct separate acts of creation So like I said before right? Like I just said Each human race is a different species That is specific to their region And they were, it was created that way On purpose by God Not by any like random atoms Slammed together Or some random kind of evolution From a monkey He believed God created each race separately From each other alright I'm going to keep going back to that over and over Because that was his way in All right. And we'll talk about that. Agassiz applies the same theory to his geological works. He noted that paleogeographic distribution of like species within the geological record. They could not be attributed to migration patterns. Okay, let me read that again. Basically, what he's trying to say is when you look at the different species, you can't determine How they got there and where they came from Just by looking at it Because Basically, you know, I'm not a scientist So anyone out there who's a scientist If if I'm wrong, correct me, right A lot of um, Scientific When scientists look at species Even human beings What they try to take note of is How migration patterns Affected them How did it affect and evolve the species Right But Agassiz didn't believe in migration patterns. He believed that each species was created where they were found and they were uh, adapted to where they were found, that they didn't come from somewhere else. Okay, and he needed that in order to support his idea that humans were different species. Because if it was proven that humans did, in fact, migrate, that means that it's possible. That humans did move around And they maybe they did come from one source Right So a skeleton found in Africa Was created, lived And stayed and died You know, lived, died, stayed Grew up, raised his family In Africa You know uh, Humans from the caves of Europe Did not migrate into Asia And they did not migrate from Asia into Africa No, he did not believe in that His work led him to believe that species are indigenous rather than descendants from migrants as opposed to migratory. That's what I just explained in a very poor fashion. Agassiz believed science could be used to justify racism and white supremacy. He used polygenism to argue that black folks were part of an inferior race. He did this by attempting to categorize human races like different biological species or specimens in his museum. He commissioned what he would do what he would commission photos of enslaved people from from the American South and from Brazil. He would then take photos of indigenous Africans and South Af- and South Americans and also pictures of people of mixed race descent mostly from Brazil. He used these photos some way. I don't know how he managed to link these things together. He he always managed to write something to link them together. It didn't really make any sense. He used these photos in his eyes, right, to prove the inferiority of non-white peoples and to warn he hated interracial uh, children, the idea of interracial children, the idea of interracial um, breeding, of interracial reproduction. He thought that was a sin against God. And he used these photos to prove his point. Agassiz... Pseudo-scientific work was highly influential in certain circles, specifically among those who championed segregation over integration. As an educator at a prominent university and as the most high-profile scientist of his era, Louis Agassiz had a huge platform from which to advocate his racial ideologies, both among his students and in the broader academic and political communities. His public writings and lectures touched both on the scientific question of human origins and on socioeconomic questions of racial equality. He touched on both somehow. So let's talk about the Freedmen's Inquiry Commission. All right. The Freedmen's Inquiry Commission. In March of 1863, Congress created the American Freedmen's Inquiry Commission. Commission or the AFIC. I'm just going to say AFIC, okay? To investigate the socioeconomic prospects for emancipated slaves and to make recommendations for their transition from slavery to freedom. What Congress did was they selected three white male abolitionists as the commissioners of this inquiry. Samuel Gridley Howell, Robert Dale Owen, and James McKay all right so how Owens and McKay there can be no doubt that these men were of course they're well-intentioned they abhorred slavery not only as a moral sin against humanity but like many abolitionists they also believed that blacks should not be treated like animals right so they believed that slavery was a moral sin And that blacks should not be treated like animals. They should not be enslaved. However, right, there's a caveat. This belief did not translate into a belief that blacks were equal to whites. Equal in faculties, in intelligence, and in morals, right? They thought that everyone was equal. Everyone should be created equal, right? Equal meaning they should be treated equal under the law. Right. See, see, there's little caveats in this. Just because you're abolitionist does not mean you believe that black people are the same as you. They didn't believe that black people were the same as white people. They believed in racial differences, biological differences. And some of these differences made black people mm, maybe not as smart and everything as white folks. Or maybe they weren't as strong. Maybe they weren't quite as smart. Maybe they weren't quite as moral. But that does not mean that you treat them like animals and that does not mean that you enslave them, right? Because God created his creatures equal. You see how that's a that's hypocritical, how that doesn't really make sense? It doesn't make sense. Like, when I'm saying it right now, I'm sitting here, like, shaking my head, like, wait, what? Yes, that's what they believed. They somehow believed both of those conflicting, conflicting ideas. They believed them at the same time, all right, which is insane. Okay, so Congress picks these three white guys— to head the uh, inquiry about the kind of the state of the freedmen All right, so they were well intentioned but they were still kind of racist the men believed in many of the debunked pseudosciences that predated the abolition of slavery these pseudosciences maintained that whites were naturally superior in all faculties and that mixed race children doomed the human race to a quote mongrel status I'm sorry to anyone who has interracial kids or an interracial relationship, just FYI, this might be hard to listen to because these folks did not like the idea of interracial relationships or interracial uh, reproduction, all right? I'm just letting you guys know that it could be hard to listen to. The AFIC commissioners thought whites were much better suited for survival than blacks, who in turn were better fit for survival than mulattoes. And that was kind of like a nod to mainstream Darwinist thought of the period, right? Survival of the fittest. White people were the most fit, then black folks, then the least fit, the least likely to survive were mulattoes or mixed race people. Okay. Because instead of like I personally think that mixed race mixed race folks had the best of both worlds, they thought that mixed race children had the worst of both worlds, right? That's a totally different view on the same kind of subject. The AFIC relied on faulty and heavily biased, quote, survey research that relied on misleading questions. Of course, these questions were based on junk science. Even though many of the respondents to the faulty survey helped to actually confirm the commissioner's bias, right, that black from fear. there were many, many responses that either flatly disputed or flat out rejected any inherent biological and intellectual differences between black and white. So there were some folks who responded to the survey questions. And of course, like they expected, you know, they would answer that. Yeah, the blacks are they doesn't. They don't seem as smart. They don't seem as moral. But there are also many, many, many people who responded to the surveys with we don't see a difference. They work hard. They're smart they're moral, they take care of their family. So that didn't kind of that didn't sit well with the with the three commissioners. They just simply ignored that part of the survey, right? The survey indicated that mulattoes and blacks living on the margins of northern society suffered higher infant mortality rates and higher cases of tuberculosis. And this was due to poor living conditions and the lack of support from local authorities, right? That wasn't saying that they were less healthy like naturally it was just saying hey there was a lot of indications that hey these people need help they're not getting any assistance from the government and they're living on the on the fringes right of society they're not able to get jobs they're not able to get support they're, they're struggling to support their family so obviously more of their babies are dying and they're being they're getting sicker at a faster rate once again the commissioners of the inquiry ignored this part of the survey all right The AFIC chose to ignore the results from completed surveys that didn't support their views, right? Specifically, their views of white superiority over black folks. They did absolutely nothing to address the concerns of the high infant mortality rates or the concerns of drastic and really crucial health issues that were suffered by the black communities. Overall, the commission found that blacks were unequal to whites and thought that it was unlikely that blacks could compete with whites as free men and women. In the final reports submitted in June of 1863 and May of 1864, the AFIC emphasized self-sufficiency for African Americans in their transition from slavery to freedom rather than government intervention, citing fears of dependency. So basically what they're saying is this. We do believe that black folks will survive if they're freed. We will believe that they will multiply. But what we don't believe in, we don't believe they'll be able to compete with other races, specifically white folks. And we're not going to offer them much support because as Negroes usually do, they latch on and we can't shake them loose. Right. They get dependent on the government. They get dependent on on us and then all of a sudden we have a problem right so that was their kind of conclusions from the uh from the surveys that they sent out although the AFIC may certain to note the inferiority of blacks they supported and promoted their independence and their likelihood of survival as freedmen and freed women the AFIC failed to address however the critical need for both immediate and long-term government aid for the freedmen Especially shocking in light of the serious health disparities within their community and the, as compared to the white community. For some reason, though, historians have pretty much ignored the history of the AFIC. An often cited article by historian John G. Sprott called the AF, AFIC's recommendations the, quote, blueprint for reconstruction. Crazy. All right, let's talk about pseudoscience that was backed by the AFIC. All right, let's talk about it. Many abolitionists, while hating and fighting against slavery, they actually believed in the equality of races while also believing in racial difference, right? So like we said before, they hated slavery, they fought against it, they believed in the equality of all races, but they also believed in racial differences. Which you're like, wait, what? Chase, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold on, slow down. How do they believe that slavery is bad, that all the races are equal, but they also believe that the races aren't equal and they're different? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know how they could possibly believe that. I think it's one of those things where you got to be better than these slaves, right? We have to. There's something about us that has to be better than these black folks. There is no way that this community of slaves is as smart as we are, right? I think that's more of a self- uh, reflective issue, right? Uh, Self confidence thing where something had to be different about these black people. Something had to be different. We have to be special, right? And, you know, we see that today with the fight over CRT. I'm not going to go on a rant, but actually, I'm about to for a second. We see this today. The refusal of some parents to allow their kids to learn about racism, all that does is insulate their children into this fake world that's going to smack them in the face when they go to Princeton or they go to the University of Texas and they're around all these different people from all over the country and all over the world. They're not going to know how to handle themselves because they're insulated from reality. Right? Because there's a there's this fear that hey, if we learn about racism, if we learn about systemic racism and inequality and how badly some groups were taught maybe, just maybe our kids might want to reach across the aisle and grab the hand of a black kid and help pull him up and, you know, and help support him. Maybe our sense of entitlement and our sense of superiority will be shattered and we can't have that. And that is why I despise ignorance when it comes to critical race theory. All right? And if you want to learn more, uh, listen to my podcast. All right, ran over. Okay, so what are we talking about here? Okay, okay, okay. Right, so many abolitionists supported the racial science that emphasized distinct biological differences and biological inferiority. White abolitionists at the time were were actually, you know, they were the liberal vanguard of their era. They were the cut. They were like, they would be called far left radicals by Fox News right now. Abolitionists would be the radical left. It's like seriously, if if, if Tucker Carlson went back to slavery days, he would be like, look at the radical left freeing all these Negroes. That's exactly what he would say because abolitionists were the most radical of the radicals. Like, they were the most radical radicals in history. Maybe in the history of humanity. All right? But, they were definitely racist by contemporary standards. Isn't that ironic? That the most liberal people in the 19th century during uh, slavery were also still racist, they would be like the worst racist in 2022. Louis Agassiz was an expert that was often cited by the AFIC. Agassiz at the time of the AFIC served as the leading voice of uh, anthropology, being a prestigious professor at Harvard university and befriending many leading abolitionists like Howe, who was a member of the commission. So Howe was a member of the commission? And what we're going to talk about right now is a series of letters that uh, Mr. uh, Professor Agassiz uh, wrote to Howe. Remember, Howe is one of the white abolitionists that served as a commissioner of the Freedmen's Inquiry, okay? Howe was ready to, quote, allow science to answer the empirical questions because he believed that whatever the future might hold for the black man, such determination would not obviate the moral imperative to accord him fair treatment. Howe believed in natural laws, holding that black Americans could not compete with whites and would eventually die out. Historian George Fregelson believed, quote, with Howe, the racial thinking of an advanced and liberal segment of northern white opinion received its fullest expression. The limitations of egalitarianism were painfully obvious. Howe was an enemy of slavery and a proponent of legal equality for blacks. Howl, I'm, su- I'm sorry, Howl was an enemy of slavery and a proponent of legal equality for blacks, but he regarded interracial marriage as disastrous without apparently realizing that such a judgment legitimized a white prejudice that acted as a fundamental barrier to meaningful equality. So, what Mr. Frederickson is trying to say, right? He's a famous historian who wrote about this topic. What he's trying to say is that Howe believed that he was righteous in in his um, in his abolitionist beliefs, right? He believed he was righteous. He believed he was morally correct, and he was. The problem was that while also believing in freedom and equality, he also hated the idea of interracial marriage, and he thought it was the most disastrous thing possible for humankind. So it was a very, very conflicting um, and uh, turbulent battle in the, in the minds and in the hearts of many of these white folks of the, of the time, especially the radicals. Howe was also unable to visualize a permanent future for blacks in America. His ideal America was all white. He was quite willing to serve the Negroes, to see the Negroes diminish and even disappear after they have served their purpose in Reconstruction. That's the actual quote. In August of 1863, Howe asked Professor Agassiz to contribute as an expert for a survey and to answer several questions relating to the material. Rather than answering Howe's questions, Agassiz went on a scientific equivalent of a racist rant. Agassiz outlined his racist science, referencing the theory of the unity of mankind that, quote, assumed that the different races have become what they are in consequence of their settlement in different parts of the world, end quote. Agassiz believed that, climate, that the climate of the southern United States was, quote, particularly favorable to the maintenance and multiplication of the Negro race. Agassiz also warned that sexual relations between whites and blacks produced, quote, half-breed mulattoes, who were sterile and less productive, And he also considered mulattoes a sin against nature, as incest in a civilized community is a sin against purity of character. Agassiz concluded that the black population in warmer southern states would attract the black northerners, while, quote, the more weak and lighter African American population that remained in the north would eventually, quote, die out. In a follow-up letter, Agassiz confirmed his position regarding mulattoes and offered a policy recommendation for emancipation. He, quote, insisted upon the fact that the population arising from the uh, uh, inauguration of two races is always degenerative, that it loses the excellence of both primitive stocks to retain the vices or defects of both and never to enjoy the physical vigor of either. Agassiz considered mixed race people the worst of both worlds. He considered them to be, quote, incapable of living on a footing of social equality with the whites in one and the same community without becoming an element of social disorder. So he really did not like mixed race people. He thought that there would be a problem. He did not understand it. He thought it was a sin against God. And that is where we're going to take our. First or our only musical break. I hope you guys are enjoying the podcast so far. I know I had a great time researching it. Ape. All right, everybody, we are back. We are back from the musical break. Hope you guys are enjoying this. I I know it's, some of it can be hard to listen to, but this is where we have to trace things back. We have to know how we've come to this point in our society. People are just throwing around all this racist this, racism that, structural racism, systemic racism. How? Give me some examples Excuse me, and it's for both sides. I'm not I'm not criticizing one side or the other. Liberal versus conservative. No one's given any examples. No one is researching. No one is citing any legitimate sources. Everything I believe I can back up. And that's why I love researching. All right, so, we're talking about mixed-race individuals and how they were considered to be by many at the time. Um a sin against nature and not natural all right um and and i think that's just because people did not think that blacks were equal so if black folks aren't equal and they mix with the superior race guess what's going to come out something that no one wants to see right at least on the racist side all right so once again professor agassiz he considered mixed race people The worst of both worlds. I consider them the best of both worlds. He considered them the worst of both worlds. He considered them to be, quote, incapable of living on a footing of social equality with the whites in one and the same community without becoming an element of social disorder. The racist scientist was against offering too much assistance to blacks after emancipation. Quote, beware of granting too much to the Negro race in the beginning, lest it becomes necessary by force to deprive them of by force some of the privileges which they may use to their own detriment and their own injury. (laughs) I had to laugh at that. I laughed at that when I when I wrote that in my outline, because basically what he's saying is we don't want black folks to hurt themselves with all this amazing freedom and all this cool stuff and privileges. That they had, that they never had before. Wouldn't want them to hurt. Wouldn't want them to hurt themselves by being free. They're so used to being slaves, and since they're just kind of genetically uh, disposi- uh, disposed, or uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They're genetically I- inferior, so they're disposed to be slaves, right? So if we give them freedom, they might hurt themselves, man. They might not know what to do with, them- with themselves. So don't give them too much, too soon, right? He also supported any legislation aimed specifically at mulattoes. Anything that would, quote, accelerate their disappearance from the northern states. Man, he... Talking about racism, this is what it looks like, man. So he supported anything that would get rid of mixed race people. Any type of legislation. He wanted them to die out. He could not stand them. He could not stand looking at them. He did not want to be around them. Because to him, it was like a sin against God. And this is what I'm talking about. You can be religious and be racist. You can... And I'm telling you, Professor Agassiz would tell you to your face he was not racist. Just like George Wallace would. He would tell you to your face... Shoot, David Duke would probably say he ain't racist. The leader of the KKK, the old school KKK leader, he would say, I'm not racist. What are you talking about? Racist. I just think white people need to protect their own, and white folks need to have their own nation. I'm not Racist. I have black friends. I just think they should be over here and we should be over here. The professor also supported any legislation. All right. I already said that, but I'll say it again. He supported any legislation aimed specifically at mulattoes, anything that would quote accelerate their disappearance from the Northern States. In conclusion, Agassiz wrote quote, I'm afraid these views will not be acceptable to a majority of those who without any real knowledge of the Negro race, and deriving all their information from our mixed race, race, colored population, have proclaimed the blacks as perfectly equal to the right to the whites in every respect, and entitled to all the social privileges and political rights which we ourselves have conquered by hard struggles in the long battle for freedom. Get the fuck out of here, you freaking clown! <laughs> That's freaking ridiculous. So he's basically saying like. I know my opinions aren't going to be popular to people who think black folks are equal, but they probably think they're equal because they were talking to the mulattoes. And since the mulattoes are, are sinners and uh, abominations, they're probably getting lied to by the mulattoes. That's why they think black people can ever be equal because the mulattoes are mixed with the great purity of the white race. So that's where they're getting the information from, but they are liars. We have struggled a long, a long time to get where we are and it's going to take them a long time to get where we are but they're never going to get there so don't worry about it in the third letter in his third letter to how agassiz finally offered some actual answers to the original questions that were presented to him by the afic how asked whether quote the african race will be persistent will be a persistent race in this country or will it be absorbed diluted and finally effaced by the white race. Professor Agazza answered, quote, I believe it will continue in the southern states, and I hope it may gradually die out at the north, where it has only an artificial foothold, being chiefly represented by half-breeds who do not constitute a race by themselves, end quote. Howell then asked if, quote, the, generation, the general practical uh, spread fostered by slavery would become more general after abolition. So he was asking, hey, are they going to spread more after slavery? Agassiz answered that emancipation would tend to, quote, diminish the unnatural spread and lessen everywhere the number of those unfortunate half-breeds deficient in manliness and feminine virtue and left to be the ministers to the best of other races. End quote. He indicated that the black population in the North did not increase without migrants from the South. He predicted that where, uh, wherever a black majority existed in the South, free blacks would organize into their own states. In a final letter, Professor Agazes recommended a federal policy that would keep the South under the control of whites without wronging the blacks. That's an actual quote. That's all we got for today. All right, What did we talk about? I actually have a part two. We're talking about Cranio, uh, crani, God dang, I can't say craniometry, the study of the daggone skull, man. Gosh, the longer it goes with these podcasts, the harder it is to speak. Um, podcasting is hard, hard talking this long without messing up. But I try my best for you guys. I hope you enjoyed it. So what we talked about today was Professor Lewis Agassiz. Okay. I keep pronouncing it differently. I'm sure you've heard different pronunciations. Pronounce it however the hell you want. Agassiz, Agassi, Agazer, he's a he's a moron. Okay, pretty much. That that's the that is the freaking main point of this whole podcast. Is that this guy was seen as an authority. The federal government actually committed resources to getting this guy's opinion on how to treat black folks after emancipation. Can you believe that? He was a racist. He hated. Uh, mixed race people he didn't hate blacks necessarily I don't think he definitely hated the mixture of the races he was racist as heck he hated mixed race folks more than he hated African Americans but that's still racism and that's still vicious and it's still vile and it's disgusting and this is what I'm talking about when when we need to talk about the history of this country we need to be truthful With how we talk about history By how we talk about race Because if we're not truthful All this stuff is going to be forgotten Which is why I love all the scholars That have been honest And been steadfast In their pursuit of the truth I am one of those scholars Eventually right? I'm in my graduate program right now I want to write books I want to teach truth That's why I started this podcast I'm an amateur right now. I'm I'm you know, I'm struggling a little bit. I'm trying to get this podcast um perfect. You know, I'm hard on myself, I'm a perfectionist, but I really want to teach truth. I want to be as well-rounded as possible. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. God bless y'all. I'm gonna eat some dinner and hang out with my wife. I hope you guys had a great weekend. I hope you guys have great things planned for the rest of the week. God bless you. We love you here at the Ape Academy. Ape out. Oh, yeah. Remember, put God first. Then comes your family. Right? Stay positive. Get after it. Work hard. Don't let anyone tell you you can't do something because you can do anything. All right? No bullcrap. If you would have asked me two years ago if I would have started a podcast when people actually listen, I would have laughed in your face. We love you. Thank you for joining us. Ape out. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Drop, 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 drop. Don't forget to turn on those post notifications. Have a blessed day, y'all. We out. Peace. God bless you.